The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by SR3 Rescue Concepts. Because you don't know what you don't know. Is your agency or company looking for helicopter training? Or maybe someone to come audit your program? How about a standardization and safety check? Or maybe just an annual FAA refresher? Look no further because SR3 Rescue Concepts has what you need. They are here to help your program succeed, to keep you up to date with the current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is top-notch, with certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crewmen that can provide training in rescue, tactical, and firefighting operations, as well as night vision goggle use and more. As part of the Petzl Technical Partner Program, They can also provide personal protective equipment inspection courses and training on the highly specific Lazard made specifically by Petzl for helicopter use for cliff rescue operations. Another great advantage of SR3 Rescue Concepts is they go beyond the helicopter world. They have training programs for high angle mountain rescue and their tactical medicine training program, which is structured around fundamental training for tactical combat casualty care and tactical emergency casualty care. To top it all off, they offer a safety audit program, a third-party review, fact-based and unbiased, to ensure any operation is functioning as safely and efficiently as possible. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Again, that's sr3rescueconcepts.com and over on Instagram at SR3 underscore rescue. That's on Instagram at SR3 underscore rescue. You just make sure when you send them a message, you tell them Quinny sent me here and they will certainly take good care of you. I had a great time with our next guest coming up. Man, we had a, we had a really good fun conversation. Uh, so I'm super super psyched about this and it you know it's it's fun to find people that you can talk to that you can relate to and that you share that same passion of search and rescue with and and everything that we do in order to to save lives so our next guest that we have coming on is a technical search and rescue winchman he's been doing this for just about 20 years he works in dublin ireland with chc ireland please welcome mr derek everett my name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Hello, Derek. Welcome to The Real Rescue Podcast. How you doing? Afternoon, Jason. It's good to be with you. Um, and a very wet and windy Ireland. Oh, I think you're, in a, you're 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 in warmer climates than I am. I, I am in warmer climates at the moment, but that's okay. Someday I'll be out there, and when I get out there, I'll I'll make sure I take you out for a beer. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. A couple of a couple of guys now I've met over the years have all passed through Ireland, and we've all caught up for beers. So it's it's definitely uh you can you can call in anytime. Oh, I dig that. I like that. Well, uh, hey man, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, I certainly appreciate it, you know, and and I know all the listeners out there they're going to enjoy this as well. So, but uh, if you don't mind, give a little background to yourself and who you are and where you come from. Sure. Um, my name is Derek Everett. I'm a 
technical search and rescue aircrew winchman, winch operator with uh, CHC Ireland. I've been with them for just under 20 years now. Um, and prior to that, I would have been in the Irish Defence Forces, first as a soldier. And then I kind of got into search and rescue um, after uh, about seven years as a soldier, decided to try something new and got into search and rescue um, at that stage back in 1997. Um, I worked for CHC on contract to the Irish government on a government search and rescue contract. And CHC has held the contract since 1998. Nice. Comes up for tender um, very every every so often. So that's kind of my background, and that's how I got into it. I got into a treaty army, basically, which would be a fairly general uh, route back in the day uh, for people to go from from uh, from into search and rescue. A little bit different these days because not a lot of people are doing it in the military anymore. So we could probably talk about that later, a little bit later. Yeah, right. Yeah, because a lot of that, even even in our military, they're. Um... You know, it's interesting to see how many people transition from, let's say, the Marine Corps or the Army or somebody like into the Coast Guard. Uh, and now all of a sudden they're going from killing guys to saving them. So and I, I hear a lot, a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, and I, we'd probably take it one step further. Uh, we go from the military uh, for all the bits and pieces we do into search and rescue in the military. And then I would have transitioned along with a lot of my guys, a lot of guys I work with into the civilian end of things so civilian search and rescue which is which which is what search and rescue predominantly is it might have started off in the military but civilian search and rescue for state is 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 uh is what most countries in europe are starting to look at either doing or looking at at the moment so that's why it's very important for us to, to kind of you know get a pipeline of people to, co to come through and um, because the military aren't producing many more so companies have to go and make new search and rescue technical air crew which is a, a fairly big endeavor in itself yeah oh heck that's a whole nother conversation in itself just how to get guys to be at the level that we are at and the experience that some of us yeah. have from military yeah. or other and, backgrounds so and i think you've hit the nail on the head it's all about experience you can have all the shiny kit you want but if uh, if you don't have the experience behind you or the experience around you, uh, you you're you're definitely going to you're definitely going to fail or suffer badly. That's the, yeah. that's the reality of this job, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And uh, you know, to even go a step further is you look at some of the training. Um, I know the training with that I went through with the Coast Guard was ridiculous, and and for me, it was one of the hardest things and that I've ever done. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of it, and you know, I don't want to go through it again, but. My gosh, it was it was legit. Like, uh, it was legit, and likewise for me, uh, because it's the military, they can gather up 200, 150 guys, drag them in, and basically beast them until they get what they want. And if yeah. they don't want any of them, they just send them all back to their unit. <laughs> and I've seen that, um, I've seen that several times. Um, and a lot of a lot of search and rescue from from the the way I went through it, it was a lot of it was okay. Your ability is a major part of it, but the bigger part of it is. Do you have a broad base of knowledge, common understanding, and can you fit into a crew room? Because if you can't do that, you ain't coming in regardless of how fast you can run or how yeah. fast you can swim. Yeah. Um, does it make a blind bit of difference? Personality has a huge part to play, particularly for technical search and rescue aircrew. Agreed. So very much so. We're, we're trying to we're trying to we're trying to translate that into doing that now with guys who've never been in the military and they're looking at you sideways. They don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. No, I find that as well. And then you're you're looking at oh gosh that's again a whole another conversation because then you get into it like even a mindset, um, and that's you know we there's another podcast out there called the Rescue Swimmer Mindset and they get into that it, it, even Navy SEAL stuff and pararescue and you know U.S. military uh, special forces guys you have to have a mindset in order to get into any of this you can't 
you can't be a quitter because that's not an option. So, no, it's it's not. You know that yourself. It, yeah. We touch up against all those different types of personalities, and um, but at the end of the day, you have to get tick with it. Uh, you have to get it done regardless of what's in front of you. And sometimes, as we say to some of the, our, our guys that are coming through now, you have to, be, it's a little bit agricultural. You know, you just have to grit your teeth and get it done whichever way you need to get it done. Yeah. Because at the end of the wire, you can't pull over to the side of the road and ambulance <laughs> or you don't have a fire crew. You don't yeah. have a fire crew coming to right. back you up or police to come back you up or you oh. are it. Get on you... with it. <laughs> oh God, I love it. It's so beautiful because it's just on, on every side of the world we all have the same mentality and I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I, I've sat and talked to some of the same people, you know, and I know um, over, over beers and I would be crying laughing at the similarities in the same type of job, exactly yeah. the same thing. And you're going, did that happen to you as well? Absolutely. <laughs> do you have such and such a pilot do this all the time? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, How yeah. do you speak to him? Well, I say this or I say that. Yeah, look, we are, oh. we're the hybrid in aviation i always say that to people there's oh. engineers and there's pilots and then there's the bit in the middle and they yes, don't know right. what to call it and that's that's <laughs> technical that's air crew that's us <laughs> oh my that's gosh us. that's us oh my god i love it i love it all right derek well i'll tell you what uh if you don't mind just let's let's get into a little bit of your first rescue or the first one you really remember now let's start with your first one because that's always kind of the most fun. You you don't know what you're doing quite yet, and you still get in there and and get the job done. So, what was your first rescue? Yeah, God, uh, the first rescue I did would have been a mountain a mountain walker, mountain climber with a broken leg. The aircraft was an Alouette, if you're familiar with them, a French Alouette single engine, okay. very versatile aircraft, uh, hydraulic hoist uh, was so sorry. Not, Sorry, an air-driven hoist off the off the engine. So um, it was temperamental to say the least at times, but a very reliable aircraft, very small aircraft. Yeah. And I was only qualified probably two weeks, my first duty, uh, with a very with a, with, a, with a guy I still work with today. Nice. I was only on with him last week. That's how long that's how long I'm working with these guys. And uh, that was 1990, that was 1998. And um, that was my first rescue. Guy was out walking with a, a group of people, went over a uh, simple fracture, tib fit. Uh, plenty of pain relief and up you went and you know that, that for me that was it and ever since then I probably have done I don't know how many of those types of jobs and every one of them is different because the casualty is different and all the other stuff the, all the other variables that we deal with are different as well but that was my very first job and uh, yeah I still remember to this day I still had the logbook where I did it um, and yes. every now and again when I get a few you know I, I, show, I show the kids and they go oh god are you that old so um, and then so and then you uh, look at my kids. If you do the same thing I do, I look at my kids and be like, "So when you go to school, black and blue, are you going to say an old man did that to you, or are you going to say your dad did that to you?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I listen. I my wife just checked me all the time. You can't say that to kids. You just can't say that because they might say it to somebody else. Yeah. And it's that mentality of, you know, <laughs> soldier, technical search and rescue, air crew man. There are no fills, <laughs> and all the corners are are kind of sharp. Just don't call me old and we'll be all right. Just call me old. We're all cool. <laughs> uh, I love it. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, good first case. Then. It, it kind of gets you, gets the blood pumping and getting you wanting to more. It does. I mean, that's it, 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 with me. It does, but you have, same with you probably as well. And you have to be on with an old hand, an old head to kind of, you know, calm down there. Let's just take our time here. And uh, as, as you go through your career, you often kind of go, you start saying, 
calm down there, take your time, let's take a look at this. And you're not just talking to yourself, you're talking to your new rescue swimmer or your new technical, your winchman or your new pilot. Yeah. You become that kind of link between everybody then. And uh, you kind of you kind of you kind of move the crew along. I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it that the, yeah. the tech the, you know, the winch operator, probably the most experienced person in the aircraft. So he's trying to join up all the moving parts of the crew as well and, and right. advocate for good decisions both on the ground and in the air. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of things where, you, you know, a winchman, they have to get experience too. So you got to start at ground zero at one point or another in your career. And, you know, to have all those moving parts, you know, when you get into training people, it's like, Hey, listen, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Take your time. We're not in any Absolutely. hurry. Here. So but, if you well, could, if you could bottle that up, you'd have a you'd have a perfect recipe for teaching a lot of things. Yeah, right. And that's the way I'd look at that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree too. I mean, it's there's just so much to be learned from the the slow down. You know, everything you do, just just slow down. And when you get into night rescue, slow down even more because now yeah, it's like whew. but anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's a big big difference. Yeah. Well, you sent me uh, this this write up here, and actually, it's more of a it's an award, the nomination for Goodrich SAR of the Year Award of 2018 for Europe. Um, so I am going to bore you, and I'm going to read this entire thing, which is pretty long, and then uh, and then we're going to get into it, if that's all right with you. Sure, you can you, absolutely, Jason. Walk away. Okay. Well, in that case, let me go back to the top to this thing and say, all right. So nomination for Goodrich SAR of the Year Award for 2018 Europe. CHC Ireland Coast Guard Helicopter Rescue 116 Dublin Base. Over the period of March 2nd to March 3rd, 2018, the Dublin Base Coast Guard Rescue Helicopter 116 was tasked five times almost back-to-back to, -back to assist the recovery of casualties in need of urgent medical treatment. This was due to the unprecedented snowstorm, Emma, which affected the entire east coast of Ireland. This weather system paralyzed all land ambulances and greater Dublin area along the eastern regions of Dublin's commuter belt. Dublin Airport, which is where the rescue, rescue helicopter is based, was closed for the 48 hours. Marine Rescue Coordination Center Dublin tasked the rescue helicopter following a request from the National Ambulance Service on March 2nd to assist a person with chest pain and possible head injury in the position of eight miles southwest of Court Town. Where is Court Town? How far is that? Is that right outside of Dublin? Um, no, it's about 50 miles south along the coast. It's, uh, it, it's um, as you, if you look at a map of Ireland, it's not very big compared to the state. So it's about 50 miles down, down south of us along the All coast. Right. So you're leaving out of, out of Dublin, going to Court Town, which is kind of a flight. It's, it's a good ways. It's a, it's, it's a good trek down. We'd probably, I think uh, I was, uh, they would have went out and followed the coast down. So we get out coastal, we're, we're a SAR aircraft. If you're over the water, you're kind of safer than driving over the land and, and yeah. dodging snowstorms and mountains. So we just go coastal, get down there, and then try and turn inland to find out where, where we're going to get. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, now I have an idea as to where we're going. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so the rescue okay. helicopter <laughs> routed coastal to Court Town. Rescue helicopter was in, unable to proceed inland due to weather. So the helicopter remained offshore abeam Court Town and advised the uh, coordination center that it was to, that at that time we would be unable to track inland. 
The coordination coordination center updated casualty position, which placed casualty further inland. Or did, due to the deteriorating weather, the rescue helicopter was stood down and returned to base. The weather over the next 12 hours preceded enormous snow showers, which cut off most of the small towns and villages to South Dublin. At 0500 on the morning of March 3rd, the rescue helicopter was again tasked by the coordination center to evacuate an 81-year-old female with an uncontrollable nosebleed from her home in a small village at the foot of the Dublin mountains. In poor visibility, snow showers, heavy winds, the rescue helicopter located the casualty's house. Oh, yeah, that's yep. what it said. Okay. Due to the huge snowdrifts, rescue helicopter elected to deploy the winchman close to the casualty's house as possible. Winching from over 80-foot hover, the winchman was deployed into the field in front of the house and promptly disappeared into the 10-foot snowdrift. <laughs> a 10-foot snowdrift. This is this... this yeah, this is a rare thing for Ireland. I think the last big <laughs> real real snow we had was in 1981. We don't get snow here that often. It's very wow. wet. But it isn't very snowy. So uh, yeah, when, so when, when you... I went down into the field, yeah, when I went into the field, I disappeared. It was like being inside a notebook. <laughs> and then you're looking up. You're like, which way does it go? I don't know which way to go. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it, was a, it was a hand signal. It was it was a hand signal, not in the book. Get me out of here. <laughs> and uh, basically. Um, uh, lifted me up out of it and then just I think they seen a fence post and they realized that was a fence post so there must be a road close to it so they popped me onto that into about four foot five foot snow drift and then made my way up to the house from there holy cow Jeez. yeah all right on reaching the casualty who is weak due to blood loss the winchman and the uh, and the assistance of the local mountain rescue team controlled the bleeding recovery of the casualty was if was affected via the double strop lift from the front garden of the house to the helicopter, which was an 80 foot hover. Due to the location of the team winched between power lines and large trees on each side of the aircraft, the casualty was flown to the Dublin airport for onward transfer to the closest accessible hospital. Immediately, the rescue, helico rescue helicopter was retasked to evacuate a six year old boy with suspected meningitis. Rescue helicopter, hot fueled, which for all of those you don't know, it means the helicopter is still running, still turning. Uh, they never actually shut it down. So if you're driving a car up to a gas station, you just leave it running, which is totally illegal, but not for a helicopter. <laughs> Booyah. <laughs> all right. So the rescue helicopter, hot refueled and routed directly to the casualty's location. However, while en route, the rescue helicopter was retasked again to a 12-year-old, oh, sorry, 12-week-old baby who had become unresponsive and stopped breathing. Weather conditions were poor with low cloud, localized snow showers, and strong easterly winds. Again, on arriving on scene, rescue helicopter deployed the winchman from a high hover due to the large amount of houses, aerial build, aerials, and buildings. The winchman was deployed in front of the garden of the house nearby due to the overhead wires and the, uh, at the casualty's home. The, casualties one is, the casualty was one of a twin who had become distressed and stopped breathing during the night. However, he could not be taken to the hospital roads by road due to the village was cut off due to the snowdrifts. Once stabilized and packaged, the child rescue valise? Really, uh, it's, like, uh, it's called a child rescue valise. Uh, it was specifically designed by uh, the company that make our straps. 
Okay. Uh, there's a picture of it there. Uh, and uh, it's like, a, for all intents and purposes, it's like a sports bag with a with a cover over it so you can actually look in. And it's wet, very well constructed. It's made out of parachute materials. And it's it's a decent, it's a really decent rescue uh, item. Uh, very rarely used. You can use it for dogs and you can use it for babies and all huh. sorts of things like that. So the little lad went into that, basically. There's a picture, there's a picture of it there on the, on the thing. That's the uh, this yellow one and in, in oh, with the baby. That's in right, it. Chad. This nice. is the yellow one. Yeah, in the baby. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be square with you. I've actually never used that piece of equipment. So, um, how, like, yeah, how big a, of a person? Designed, uh, well, look, you probably get maybe a maybe a one year old child into it. I, I've seen jobs where guys have used it for uh, people out walking with dogs. They don't want to leave the dog behind. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a large size sports gym bag with, which is made out of the same material as our rescue straps and it's got the same D rings, uh, carabiner connections, very sturdy piece of kit and okay. as I said, yeah, perfect for this job. And it's called the valise. A valise, valise, it's it's valise, okay. yeah. That's that's the manufacturer's name. Okay, cool, very cool. All right, so the child uh, rescued by the rescue valise and the baby and the mother were again winched from the very confined area at the neighboring houses from the front garden. Freaking awesome. And again, the casualty and their mom were flown back to Dublin airport for uh, for onward to hospital for treatment. Following a handover of the casualty, the mom uh, and mom from rescue helicopter was retasked again. Cause why wouldn't we be the new duty crew took over the rescue helicopter, uh, and was beginning to re- get refueled. The next task was to evacuate a six year old boy who was still awaiting transfer to the hospital. Again, the casualty was located in a small village to the South of Dublin. As previous, the winchman was deployed over a buildup hover area over 100 feet to the locate to a location as close as possible to the casualty on onset it was deemed more appropriate to recover the young boy via the stretcher lift his mom was winched up first followed by the winchman and the stretcher uh so that means you guys are doing a double up so stretcher and so uh victim or yes patient we and- always we all we always do yeah always we don't send anything up so it would be yeah. when a stretcher when you go up the stretcher it's a double up it's you and, it's you and the casualty yeah. in the stretcher and it's a probably the same stretcher you guys use it's a an, an lsc uh with titanium yep stretcher really good really good piece of kit almost soldier proof we've had it we've, <laughs> we've, we've put them through an awful lot of abuse yeah um so yeah that was that's a double up so we, I, I do a lot of double ups now. Um, that is not a standard Coast Guard uh, like method to extract somebody in the litter. Uh, they'll send the patient up in the litter first, and then the Coast Guard guy will come up after. Um, but now, where would that I'm be at, because was that because you guys have a corpsman in the Coast Guard, so you've obviously got somebody to treat them as soon as they get there? Would that be the rationale for that? Uh, not really. Most of it is because uh, you're not when you're leaving with the patient there's nobody on deck to tend the trail line or the tag line. So you have nobody. Yes. So it's like, you're going to send the patient up. I'm going to stay on deck to tend the tag line. Uh, and when you get, you know, when the patient gets up, so the hoist operator, the winchman will pull the litter in and then send the hook back down to get me. And then I'll go up to the helicopter and treat the patient. So that's, that's, kind a, of the that's, in, that's interesting because a lot of our jobs, uh, any, of the, any of the jobs we would have, we would actually use whoever's on the ground and we give them a quick, lecture and you know six times out of ten they'll get it right yeah Yeah. Uh it's it's but but 
where we always double up. We, we won't, yeah. we, if we're doing an evacuation of a vessel, we'll send them up two at a time. And the last one off the deck will be the winchman and, and a another. And the winchman will always tend to high, uh, tend the, the tagline or highline. But uh, generally, when we've got a boat crew there, we'll just teach them how to use it really, really quickly. Yeah. And, um, you know, plenty of signal, hand signals and pigeon English and shouting and screaming. And you kind of get your message across. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I do it now, uh, which is, I, I think it's a much better method, especially because you're with the patient the whole time. So if anything happens with the aircraft, at least you're leaving with the patient and the, they're not leaving without any medical, anything on the aircraft. So and I, I, I think, I think we both know that can happen as well. So oh, yeah. yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. You're, you're still on the wire with the patient. So I think yeah. you go as a package and you've got, you've got some chance of imagine taking a uh, having to leave in a hurry with just a stretcher underneath you and a poor casualty in it and um, i don't know how that would happen i don't know how it would feel for the casualty yeah right <laughs> you see what happened was <laughs> i'm just kidding yeah so, exactly exactly but all right so i'm going to keep going here so uh let's see sure. you the winchman winchman and the stretcher went up to reduce the height of the hover uh, to as low as safely possible, the rescue helicopter maneuvered very close to both buildings and aerials. Weather conditions throughout the morning and afternoon of March 3rd remained very poor. Rescue helicopter recovered back to Dublin Airport via the ILS approach, which is the basically it's all instrument approaches to get you know back into the airport. Um, for those who, like there's VFR and there's IFR, and the ILS is all instrument landing stuff in the helicopter and pilots know how to do all that stuff it's amazing so the casualty and the mom were then transferred to the hospital by road once refueled rescue helicopter was again retasked to the mountains to evacuate a 71 year old male who required immediate dialysis and again was unable to be transferred by road due to the conditions on arrival, rescue helicopter was informed that the local farmers had cleared a section of the road and following several uh, overflies of the area, the rescue helicopter elected to land to recover the casualty. So now I I'm picturing this in my head right now. The farmers are out there basically digging a hole that's got to be 100 plus feet in diameter for this helicopter to land. Is that pretty accurate? That, that's that's exactly how it happened that's exactly how it happened the, this is rural, rural south dublin and it well probably as as you've often seen communities can get together really really quickly when they need to and that's what they did they basically got out with their little tractors and started driving up the road moving snow um, opening gates getting us access and clearing an area for the helicopter to land and any crew worth their salt will always land before they winch if they can if that option to land is there safely always take it um, winching might look great and all the rest of it, but it's definitely uh, it's definitely the last up in land, and that's what they elected to do on that particular job um, because the locals basically made it happen for them. That's that's basically it. buddy. That that is insane. That is awesome. Like the way a community comes together to do that. That that's awesome. So that's so the that's helicopter lands. Happened, yeah. yeah. So the helicopter lands in an area that the farmers you know, set up and you take the 71 year old right to the hospital. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, that is, that is, that is exactly how that happened. Exactly how it happened. Wow. Um, and 
you know, the, the, the area is as rural as it's, it's pretty rural. And as I'm sure if you, as you've read through all of those jobs, they're all land based ambulance jobs, every single one of them. But when you don't have an ambulance anymore um, and you need to get people to hospital, it just shows that if you don't have that capacity, um, particularly in Ireland, you're, you really get cut off really quickly. No problem yeah. at all. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. So you guys, basically over the course of a two-day period, you were flying almost nonstop, like just rolling one to the next to the next. That That's impressive. That's awesome. Yeah, that's basically, that that, that that's how it happened. And just to, to, to rewind slightly about Storm Emma, um, sure. I was in America at uh, presenting at, at the Goodridge Conference on February the 27th and 28th. Yeah, and I went to the opening of HAI on the morning of March. Just hopped on a plane to get home, and I to get into Dublin, um, to get into Dublin before the airport was shut down due to the snowstorms. Um, I got to work purely because I followed a snowplow all the way up the road to get to the rescue base, <laughs> and the snowplow guy just travelled straight on by the rescue place and left me there. Um, if I get a chance later on, I'll send you some pictures of, of because it's, it's pretty unparalleled. It doesn't happen very often in Ireland. And the duty crew were there. That was it. When we came in, the first job was already started and the weather really hit the deck in that evening. And then the next morning, 5 a.m., off we went. And we didn't really stop until I think it was four in the afternoon of that day. And we'd swapped duty crew at the same time. Um, wow. The aircraft's an S92. So when you're sitting it over a built-up area, yeah. Uh, it's it it has you have to manage your downwash by height. You know you have to get up as high as you can, uh, or as high as reasonably practical because this yeah. thing has got a downwash that's it's it's it's, it's pretty severe um, yeah. with snow and, and all that. Like I flew sixty one for ten years. It's not a patch on the S sixty one. The the downwash is phenomenal. And I'm sure you've got Blackhawk time, so you know what that's like as well. Yeah. So I've been under Blackhawks. I've been under 139s. Um, I haven't been under a, well, a 225. I've been underneath that, which is very similar to the S92 uh, as far as size wise. But uh, yeah, it's, it's impressive for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, the other thing, the ramp uh, and straight into the, straight into the back of the aircraft. And you've got the size then to be able to maneuver and walk around, uh, treat people much, much easier when you're walking rather than you're on your knees. The 61 and the 92 gable stat. Um, it, for us, it's the, it's the utility platform for search and rescue in, in the Northern Hemisphere, as far as we can see, and for Ireland. Um, we're sitting on the Atlantic coast. Uh, next stop, Newfoundland. So, you know, our, our region stretches out to 200 miles west of Ireland um, and all the way around through the middle of the Irish Sea between ourselves and the UK. So we find it the best platform available for what we want to do. Um, yeah. And dual hoist, can't really beat that either you know you've nope. got that redundancy i i got the redundancy. love having a dual hoist uh, we have a dual hoist on our 139 here um and i was using one a dual hoist down in the gulf of mexico as well i love it love it because i've been in the opportunity or i was in the aircraft uh training and we had the hoist fell out on us and a guy was in the water i was like <laughs> it's a good thing we have a backup hoist and <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely there's uh I don't think anybody should be going out over the water, um, particularly at night, without a dual hoist system. Absolutely not. It's it's you know the standards have moved from as I said at the start of of, of our, our chat. The, you know the Alouette with the air driven hoist. We're now on to you know a dual hoist system, uh, two hundred ninety feet usable cable, 
good speed, good load, high redundancy, great reliability, great reaction. And um, I think that's the gold standard or the, or the benchmark for, for all weather search and rescue, um, particularly, over the, particularly over the water and particularly at night, um, out of sight of land. Uh, it, it is that, that's that's the way we see it anyway you know and there are a couple of other little bits and pieces that the s92 gave us that day um full rips full rotor ice protection so yeah. the ils approach that you spoke about yep. the guys were coming back down through a fairly heavy snowstorm so you've got your rips on and uh, the aircraft's doing all the hard work for you you just lock onto that beam and let the aircraft fly you down and uh, you've got your rips on and you know you're not going to ice up like a like you know it's not going to become a problem for you yeah so they're all the things that the s92 gave us that day that that's beautiful that's beautiful and you, actually for everybody else out there can you define what the rips are yeah it's a rotor ice protection system so what it basically does is you know you know you, if you're for i'll give you an example we're in dublin and we get a call at two o'clock in the morning which we would get maybe every once every quarter and we'd be asked we would be asked to fly somebody to london normally a child uh, for some form of liver uh, or a heart op or heart transplant. So they're all time critical. So we'll, we'll get the baby and the child will hop onto the aircraft. And it's a two hour journey down, but the direct route straight over the mountains in Wales. And we can do that. Otherwise you would have to go coastal and add, add another 40 to 50 minutes uh, to get into Heathrow in time for the ambulance to pick her up from time to go to the hospital. So that direct flight element of it is only possible due to the fact that we've got a rotor ice protection system whereby the aircraft will shed ice off the rotor system off the tail rotor and off the blades which uh, as anyone knows icing on an aircraft on on a flight control causes a change in dynamics causes a weight change and then you're into all sorts of hurt so that's what rips does for us nice uh perfect definition the h60 we had that up in alaska when i was flying up there um, we did not have it down in the Gulf of Mexico on the 139, uh, mainly because we didn't need it down there. And I don't currently have it on the aircraft that I fly now. Cause again, I'm flying in much hotter weather, but, uh, every place that, that I've been to that has cold. Yeah. It's, 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 it's almost mandatory. Um, the H60, it, it is, uh, yeah, it is almost mandatory. Yeah. You, it's, it's a game changer too, because if you don't have it on the aircraft, and like you said, when the aircraft starts icing up, it's it's a whole nother level. The whole aircraft starts to shake, and you're like, "What the heck?" <laughs> we had it in a. We didn't have it in the S61. We had limited ice clearance, which was uh, which was you know, it would tell you you are picking up ice, and at that stage, you had to basically have a, a block of air somewhere that you could descend into to get yep. you out of that icing level. And it, it has happened once we got clear air icing and, you know, pilots flying along and he's pulling 60, 70, 65% torque to hold a certain airspeed and a certain altitude. And now all of a sudden he's pulling 70% and wondering what, and then very quickly goes, guys, oh. a little ice probe out the side of the aircraft. He goes, guys, I want a heading now to get me clear of any high ground in front of us. And I need to get down. I need to drop at least four or 500 feet to get out of this icing. So, you know, that, that's my experience of, of, of rotor icing in, in Ireland. I've had it limited and I've had it with it and I'd much prefer it with it. Holy cow. I love it. Man, that's awesome. Derek, one of the other things that you and I were talking about just before we started recording was uh, it just so happens this is about the time of an anniversary for the helicopter 116 that we were referring to in, in all those rescues. Um, they had a crash and you have some of the details of that and, and we're almost at that anniversary. Is that right? 
Yeah, see, here you go. So look, today is the anniversary of the Rescue 116 crash. So this day, four years ago, I handed over to the duty crew. And um, it would be tonight, Irish time, at about uh, 0046.00 that they crashed into a lighthouse off the West Coast on a mission, on a support mission to another aircraft, and all four crew were lost. So, so today is actually the, anniversary, the fourth anniversary. Uh, the two rescue crewmen in the back have never been found. Um, the, the two pilots were found, the, the, the pilot in command was found on the surface the next the, that night, and uh, the co-pilot, who was also an aircraft commander, was found, but had to be extracted out of the aircraft after about nine days underwater. Um, it's kind of ironic me and you are talking about it now. That's why I didn't wow. want to, you know, it's, it's, it's not all about, it's not all about that either, but it is a small community. Um, and it just shows that it doesn't, you know, there are, there are lessons to be learned in every operation. And I think when the final report comes out on this particular incident, I'll be sharing that with everybody I know. Um, just so there's a, there's a, there's a pickup lesson learned there for everybody. Um, wow. that, you know, that there, there's, there's, there's a, it's, it's a fairly unique job we have. And uh, when it goes wrong, it goes wrong. You know, I think you know God. that yourself. Yeah. 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 You know, we've always, there's a lot of people, we all, we all have friends that we've lost and, you know, it's, I'm happy to be here still. I mean, I've had some incidents and training yeah, yeah, and absolutely. missions and I, you're like, woo. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, I left work today and the guys were, we were all kind of gathered and we were having a chat and all the rest of it, but, you know, you do move on. You don't forget, but you definitely right. move on and you take the lessons learned and you and yeah. you make it a better place. And that's yeah. where we are at the moment. Well, um, and that's that's the way it is with us. Yeah. And, and, you know, like to even go a step further, not even a step further, I don't want to say that, but to, to take advantage of the bad things, it's training, training, training. Like I cannot emphasize enough that people need to get as much training as they possibly can. And unfortunately for us, training is expensive. It's expensive to operate. It's expensive to fly a helicopter. You know, it's, I mean, for you guys, what is it? Five to $7,000 an hour to fly your it's aircraft? A, it's a big, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a you big know? machine. Uh, yeah. We've got dedicated training hours there for us. Our customer realizes we need to train. Our company yeah. needs, realizes it as well. Yeah. So they invest heavily in it. And we, we've got, you know, I'm sure the dreaded word currency or recency, we've all these different right. skill sets and there's only more of them coming along. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, I, I find I learn more on a job than I do, uh, you know, than most jobs you do, you learn a little bits of something off every single job, every yeah. single time. I totally and uh, agree. you, you have to have a mechanism to feed that back in to yeah. all of your guys. There's only 36 of us in Ireland. Um, on four bases that's all there is it's not a big operation here there's 36 rescue crewmen 36 pilots 36 engineers and some support staff about 105 in total 106 and we wow. supply the entire country yeah we're, we're, the, we're like I'll, the four i'll come hang out with you and we'll make it like 36 and a half i'll be like a half guy and listen, help you out. <laughs> listen the, the, the half where's the half guy we, we need someone to go get the coffee <laughs> It'd be worth it though. I'd totally hang out with you guys just for like half. Yeah, time. <laughs> listen, listen uh, look, that just it's it's um we have we have one American guy working with us, um, and uh, we've actually had one American we one guy now who's left us and gone to America to work down in the Gulf. Yep. So uh, you know, we, we we get around, and uh, I think the the more you get around and meet people, the more you realize that it, it's a great job. It's a very unique job. You have yeah. to train for it. You have to take it for what it is, and. Um, you know, bit of straight talking every now and again never hurts anybody either. You know. No, I yeah, I agree. 
you know, it's, it's fun. And for me, like I told you, it's, it's fun for me to listen to these stories. I love every bit of them um, from the training aspect to the, the real life rescue aspect to, you know, even just shooting the breeze over a couple beers. I'm with you. I love it. Love it. It's so. um, yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, uh, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We could go on all evening, you know, it guys was. rescuing everything, everything from, bales of cocaine to, to to dogs to cats to you name it we've done it yep. all you know that kind of way you, you never really yeah. know you really yeah. do never know what's next no you don't um yeah and you that's that's no the idea. unique part of it, it no, no 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 yeah. no there is no there is no script nope. there's no script and that's nope. like how long did you do up in alaska did you do a year or two years up in Kodiak? So I, I was in I was in Kodiak for three years, and um, I, that's where I actually met Will. Will was in in charge of me for a little while. <laughs> he was also a great oh mentor. Gosh. So yeah, I I had a blast with Will. He's super good guy. Um, right. But I I was up there for three years. Uh, I got a couple really good cases out of there. Uh, some that that came with a good write up, and other ones that I just remember as like wow. Uh, that's going to stand out to me for later, you know, mountain rescues and then pulling guys off, you know, out of shacks and boats and, you know, cruise you, ships. There's a lot of bad, there's a lot of back country up there. There's a lot of mountains and stuff. And I don't think that gets a lot of recognition. I, I, I would think I'd say because of obviously, you know, TV and yeah. the deadliest catch and things, people just think that's the way, but your yeah. back country rescues, because I, I did see a guy yeah. present about them and they are, they are tough. You are out there. You're right up there. And it's, uh, <laughs> we know, are anything, you know, you, you are, you are absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen, I've it, seen a few of those things and, uh, they're well worth, they're well worth looking at for what they are. You're in yeah. the middle of nowhere. So I had actually a rescue up there off one of the mountains and it wasn't it like, I say it was a mountain. It was kind of a mountain. It was a, it was a mountain if you're on the West coast, but if you're on the East coast of like the U S it's more of a, well, no, sorry. If you're on the East coast, it's a mountain. If you're on the West coast, it was kind of a bigger hill. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but some guys got lost in, in his, his uh, blood sugar like crashed. And so we get on scene and I end up hiking up to him and the helicopter had left to get out of the mountain pass that we were in. And uh, I get on the radio. I'm like, okay, I got this guy. I'm ready for pickup. And the helicopter comes back. It's like, where are you? I'm like, what do you mean? Where am I? I'm the same place you left me. They said, yeah, pop a flare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, uh, you need to pop a flare or something. And I'm like, okay, pop the flare. They're like, oh, gotcha. We're in the wrong pass. They come over the mountain into the pass. I was in. I was like, oh God, oh, that's awesome. You know, but but when you look at when when you look at the la- when you look at the landscape, absolutely, it just all uh, once you make one turn in low light in an aircraft and you try and find your way back to that particular spot. It better be in the RNAV system because, you know, yeah. you will end up losing it and you'll end up going, yeah. uh, excuse me, can, I've often had people go out there, take your jacket off and start waving it because they're actually going the wrong direction. And, you know, you're on the radio, you know, <laughs> I'm in your two o'clock position, lads, you've gone straight by me. All right, yeah. Okay, sorry, we were just we were just looking at a place to land. Where? Six miles away. Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's great that you guys get around. Uh, you get reposted all over the place, and you get to see different um, different environments. I'm in Dublin now for the last 20, 23 years almost, um, and even even today, I go, "Geez, I've never been here before. Where am I? Or I've never seen that house <laughs> before. Or I've never seen this." No, honestly, that's the wow. way it is with us. And you, and you know, people say, "Oh, local knowledge. You should know that where that is." Yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. Where's the nearest big town? Ta- where's the nearest big town to it? Oh yeah, it's up that way. Fine. <laughs> I know the direction. Just go that way, and we we'll get it. 
Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of all, all the fancy stuff, all the RNAV stuff. You just take a lot long. Plug it in, get the map out, show it to me on a map. I want to see it on a piece of paper. That's right. Make a left so, of the oak tree yeah, and just past the uh wishing oh, bell. You'll find it. <laughs> I, I tell you that on the on the Storm Emma stuff, on the Storm Emma stuff, it was, yep. it was IFR. I follow road, I follow rail. We were following roads, <laughs> we were following we were following railway tracks oh. because you just you just had to get back to that kind of the, the pilots will tell you they had to get back to that real down dirty hand flying because wow. it wasn't plug it in and go from A to B. It had to be you know A to B via Z because you had to get around stuff and you had to maneuver and you had to look at the weather radar and look at what's in front of you and try and figure it out. So they all they all kind of got a lot out of that as well as well as ourselves and it was a really good couple of days worth of work and um, for something that doesn't happen. Very rarely, every twenty years, you get that, that type of snowstorm here in Ireland. That's now you get the wet and the wind every other week. Yeah, it is. It is wow. actually. This has been a long winter and a lot, a very wet winter as well. Yeah. So and it's not over yet. Well, it's it, so there, it's almost so over. You it's almost over. It's March. It better almost be over. <laughs> oh no, we, we 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 tend to we tend to see the end of it around the end end of March. Next two to three weeks, hopefully, we we'll yeah. see a little bit okay. of a little bit of a change. Hopefully. Well, well here's hoping, man. I hope it gets better for you. Here's hoping indeed, Jason. Here's hoping. Well, Derek, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing this with me. Um, I, I, the floor is yours. If you want to uh, say, give me any other stories or anything else that you think of. Well, I, I, I suppose what we started off with would be the, the, the unique community that we both work in. And um, as I said to you at the start before we were recording, I think where I got into understanding everyone else's operation was, was through networking at Goodridge Hoist User Conference. It puts me in front of or, or me with guys from who work other government contracts who are, are military or you guys in the, in the States, which is varied, uh, whether it be uh, police and sheriff departments, whether it be uh, state asset, everyone yeah. is exactly the same. And, you know, regardless of the platform, once you've got a hoist and a guy on the wire, you need to know your training is there. You need to know your competencies are there and you need to trust your kit and trust your pilot. And yeah. um, they were the main takeaways from from all of the all of the discussions and all of the you know beer drinking basically that I had when I was over there and, and meeting the guys. I've done it two or three times, and I couldn't recommend it highly enough to anyone to reach out to Goodridge to get an invite to go to that particular event. For sure, yeah, absolutely, I, I totally agree with that. Um, they do have a great conference every year. It, it is too bad that it was canceled this year. I look forward yeah. to the next one for sure. But, um, absolutely, absolutely. It, um, so I, hold on, I got a question about this because you mentioned beer drinking. Because you're an Irishman, did you drink everybody under the table? That's all I need to know. Well, if <laughs> if you're talking to any of, if you're talking to any of our mutual friends, they'll tell you I have a tradition. Uh, basically, um, I I would they've asked me to present a few times. So if, I've done a few presentations for good reason. I've got up and I've given a presentation, but I've always had a bottle of whiskey with me. And what we'll do is we put the bottle of whiskey up. Uh, I put the bottle of whiskey up and everyone focuses on the bottle of whiskey. And I said, then I take the bottle of whiskey away. And I said, now watch my PowerPoint. There'll be a question. You get the question right, you win the whiskey. So that's how you keep people's attention. And what good. we did the first what we did the first year was we shamed the person into opening the bottle at the break and we drank the bottle all in the one go. <laughs> so that kind of became a bit of a tradition. Um, and you know, if I get back there again and I present it again, that's exactly what I'll do. I think uh a friend of ours, Will, he won the last bottle. And in fairness to the guy, he cracked it. We went at it. Everybody got a little sip and that yeah. was it. You know what? I have no doubt Will won it just because, because it's Will. I love that guy. Because it, 
he is he's a he's a good guy he's one of, he's, he's he, will is solid and and the invites there for him as well when he passes through ireland hook up and bring you out for a couple of beers into a couple of real pubs and see how you like it well um, i assure you my friend I, you will definitely be seeing me out in ireland i'm sure of that. yeah yeah i'll so. send you home with a hangover oh Absolutely perfect no problem love it. <laughs> um, i love it so so yeah that's that invites there Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, yeah. And on that note, everybody, he's out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the real rescue podcast. Please take a minute. And as my daughters like to tell me all the time, like, and subscribe. Oh yeah. I appreciate it. So I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story and would be willing to share it, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else here that we talk about, please send me an email at therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. Or you can also check us out on our Instagram page at therealrescue, and that's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. And for all of you standing the watch today, remember when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, stay safe out there, everybody.